Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let us get started. I mentioned this earlier when I was talking to, to uh, Stephen Carroll, and, and some people already texting me, you're making this up. I, I don't believe you. No, no, no. If some people get their way, last weekend might have been the last time we had Mother's Day because in the minds of some of, of the woke, in the minds of some on the left, we can no longer use the term mother. Um, for example... And if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to the story. You can do that. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, I, I tell you the story, and this isn't, well, I, I mean, it's it's coming from a kook, but it's not necessarily a, a kook who is just, has no power at all. Congresswoman Cori Bush, and she represents uh, Missouri. She is, she is from Missouri. She took to the <clears throat> floor of the, uh, of the House a week or two ago, and she decided that she wanted to talk about, well, the, the issues related to women. However, um, she, she doesn't believe in using the term mothers. Here's what she says. Every day, black birthing people and our babies die because our doctors don't believe our pain. My children almost became a statistic. I almost became a statistic. I found, testified about my experience in the house today. Hear us, believe us, because for so long, nobody has. So she's talking about how, you know, mothers um, need, you know, more attention because they say that they're having certain problems and people don't pay attention to them. It is a valid point, but she doesn't say mothers. She refers to women who are going to have children as birthing people. Now, you would think that, okay, maybe this is just this sort of like crazy lady who um, is off on her own tangent, but no, there, there's more. For example, NARAL, which is the, the national pro-abortion group, um, they they don't use the phrase mothers either. When we talk about birthing people, we're being inclusive. It's that simple. We use gender-neutral language when talking about pregnancy because it's not just um, <laughs> uh, cisgender women that can get pregnant and give birth. Reproductive freedom is for everybody. So we have gone so far through the looking glass in this country. I guess it's because transgender people can give birth, you know, somebody who is biologically a woman but identifies as a man, and referring to that person as, as a mother um, would or a mom would be offensive to them. So we, we don't use the term mothers anymore if we are going to be woke if we're going to be inclusive we remove that term from the dictionary and now we call them birthing people or birthing persons so next may when you're going out to buy the cards at the hallmark store or you're arranging for your you know brunch it's no longer going to be the mother's day brunch it's no longer going to be hey we're taking mom out for mother's day it's going to be we're taking our birthing person out for birthing people day or whatever. And you wonder why we have gone through the looking glass. And again, if you don't believe me about the story, getting a lot of traction nationwide, at least on the idea that this is how crazy things have become. You can follow me on Twitter. I've got a link to the story. It's um, at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. As of April 30th of last year, 
there were in the city of Milwaukee, there were 1,200 automobile thefts. Now, I, I think you would say that, boy, that that's that's kind of a lot. That's like 300 on average. That's 300 cars stolen a, a month. So 300 cars stolen a month. You know, let's say on average you've got four weeks in the month. You know, you 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 do the math, and that's like 70 cars stolen a week. That that would strike me as being a lot of cars that get stolen in a week. But that was last year. This year they have new numbers out. Now get this. The first four months of the year, through April 30th, last year, 1,201 cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee. This year, 2,949. Almost 3,000 cars stolen. Last year, there were 1,200. Three, let's round up. I mean, it's 2949, but, but let's round up. So you've got 3,000 cars stolen in a four month period. So that translates into what? About 750 cars stolen a, a month. Just, just think of the, the number of cars that are being stolen on, on any given day in the city of Milwaukee. Now, the police appropriately recognize this as an epidemic. So they're, they're holding news conferences about it. They're saying, well, okay, we want to remind everybody, don't be a target of opportunity. Lock your car. Okay. Take your keys, of, of course, because it's the city of Milwaukee. You leave your car with the keys in it, and it's going to be gone in 50 seconds. They say, if you have a garage, put the car in the garage which I guess is good advice. The problem is lots of people don't have garages. But here's the other thing the police are doing. They have partnered They have partnered with O'Reilly Auto Parts, and they are going to be giving out for free steering wheel locks, the, the club. Okay, that, that they're, they're gonna, you know, the thing that you, you put and you attach to the steering wheel and it, it makes it impossible for, you know, somebody to turn the steering wheel. So it makes it difficult, if not impossible, to, to, to steal the car. Now, I don't have an issue, I, I guess, with, you know, putting the club on, on the car. I, I understand that. But, but there's a larger point here. I mean, giving out free auto steering wheel locks, the club, to people is kind of like, well, one of my colleagues used the analogy. It's sort of like, hey, we have an epidemic of fires, so we're going to give out garden hoses for people to put out the the fires. Wouldn't the better response be, we are outraged by the number of cars which are being stolen, and we are going to analyze why this is happening. And I'll tell you really why it's happening. It's happening because you have a bunch of pug, punks and thugs who steal cars with reckless abandon and suffer no consequences at all. Wouldn't a better response, instead of being, well, here, put, put the club on your car and we're going to give you a free club, wouldn't it be, let's try to catch the criminals and let's, when we catch the criminals, and this isn't a knock on the police department, but when we catch the criminals, let's get them prosecuted. Let's say, okay, if it's a juvenile, we'll actually waive them into adult court if this is the fifth or sixth car that they have stolen. And then when they get into court, won't we consider saying, let's actually put the person in jail or put the person in prison instead of just sending them back out on the street to steal more and more cars? I mean, 3,000 cars approximately in four months. And the solution 
isn't let's get the criminals off the street. It's it's here. We'll we'll give you a, a club so that when somebody busts in, you know, your your um, rear window and they get in, they won't be able to steal it. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I, I understand as a practical matter here we're going to give you the club, but it seems to me that is law enforcement essentially saying we're giving up. We can't. We can't do anything about this. We can't catch the criminals. We can't keep them off the street. The court system doesn't work for us. And, and so here we're, we're going to try to do what we, we can best. Here, here, here's the club. And, and we'll hope that they won't get in and take your car. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think auto theft, and I've said this before, and I'm not just talking about carjacking. That's obviously a crime of violence. But the way when your car gets stolen, you're inconvenienced. You are violated in many cases. Um, maybe it's insured. Maybe it's not. You know, who knows? But this idea that, hey, we've got these car thefts that are running rampant in the city, and our best response is, well, well, here's the club. Maybe that will deter the criminals. Why can't we get them off the street? How much more of this stuff are people going to put put up with? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, a couple of people in the text line are saying, well, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't criticize the police for this. Well, I, all right. I, yes and no. I, 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 the, look, I understand the real problem. The problem is you've got so many people stealing so many cars in the city of Milwaukee, and you've got a certain subsect, whether it's the prosecutors, whether it's the court system, and a lot of politicians who don't want people to be held accountable. Car theft's not this big deal. So the police are in a situation where even if they catch somebody, the chances of there being significant consequences for the person, particularly if they're a juvenile, are like slim to none and slims on a bus out of town. So their alternative is, okay, here we're we're going to give you the club. That that's the idea. Well, I, again, that's somebody says um, that's uh, that's kind of like um, giving people bulletproof vests so they can go into high crime areas and not have to worry about being killed when the bullets start flying. But right, let's if you want to make a city livable. What you have to do is you have to get control of, of crime. And what the police should be doing is they should be calling out the prosecutors that don't hold the car thieves accountable. They should be holding accountable the judges that don't hold the car thieves accountable and saying, hey, we've got an epidemic here and it's time to stop talking about midnight basketball and things of the like and hold people responsible for the property crimes that they commit. Let's talk to uh, Dale in Milwaukee. Dale, you're on WTMJ. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I just got a comment to make on what you were talking about with the club. I work in the auto industry, and the club itself, it might sound like a good idea, but all it does is deter a person breaking into your car by about 20 seconds. All they do is take a hacksaw, cut an inch out of your steering wheel, and the club drops right off. Really? And you can still drive the car away. <sighs> yeah. So, 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 so all all we're going to do by really doing this, and and of course, Dale, my my guess is that the the professional car thieves that are out there stealing a bunch of stuff, they they pretty much know this. So it, it's it, it, it might take them a little bit more time, but now what we're going to find is just a bunch of sawed off clubs. <laughs> essentially, they're just going to have to take a hacksaw exactly. with them. I, well, I, I exactly. look and and I, I mean I and I appreciate the sentiment behind this. You want to make it a little bit more difficult, but at the same time, you know the underlying problem is. 
that you've got too many people out there stealing cars. Wouldn't we want to deal with that problem? Get the car thieves off the street. Exactly. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, again, I, I mean, I, I've never, I've never used the the club or, or things like that. And I, I, I get it's sort of like saying, okay, well, we we want you to lock your your doors and we'll we'll give you a deadbolts or something like that. And I guess I mean I understand the sentiment about it, but if we're going to talk about making a community livable, don't we really need to say we 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 shouldn't have this type of crime problem to begin with? And I guess I just find these numbers to be stunning. You know, first four months of the year, twelve hundred last year, and last year there was a ton of them. It's not like last year was an aberration, but this year almost 3,000. I mean, it, it's just, it is staggering what, what's out there to the point that, I mean, how, how can you, if you live in the city of Milwaukee and you don't have access, I mean, obviously, if you've got a garage that you could close the door and lock it, well, that, that's what you want to do. But lots of people don't have that luxury. And if you don't have that luxury, that the answer is, well, you know, here, here's a club, go with God, and hopefully you have good insurance. 855-616-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, my thoughts are that uh, these people need some serious chill time and set that standard and uh, their colleagues and friends will find them that they won't be on the street with them and they'll be in jail too. And if you want to have some social programs to help them out, they can play basketball and have them while they're in prison. <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's get them off the street. Well, you, you got to. I mean, th- exactly. I mean, you, you have to. We have to hold people accountable for this. And, and that's the thing. Now, I, I'm willing to be corrected. But as a general rule in the city of Milwaukee, if you have a juvenile, even with multiple car thefts, they will not consider waiving the juvenile into adult court. So, you know, you so it, it's sort of like, again, of these 3000 cars that have been stolen in the first three months of the year. It's I, I mean, I, I don't know how many are juveniles and I'm not sure that they know. But it would be really interesting to see what are the, what are the consequences for this. But of course, we we live in this this area where we we don't want to have consequences. We we don't want to say to people, "Oh, you're you're stealing other people's cars." And I mean, I did a topic about this a month or two ago. Look, I, I understand for for some people, car theft is an inconvenience. All right, you you got maybe you're, it's a two car family, so you come out, your one of your cars is stolen. You've got plenty of insurance, so it's just it's the inconvenience. I mean, you're, you're violated, your privacy is violated, but you, you've got a second car so somebody can get you to work. You've got insurance, so ultimately you're going to get purchased and somebody's going to buy you a, a new car or replace it. But for a lot of people, that, that car is their lifeline. It's their lifeline. Why for why in the city of Milwaukee don't we care about the decent, law-abiding, hard-working citizens? Why don't we care about them? Why do we just simply say, hey, you know, you're, you're sheep, you're going to be plucked. Why don't we just say, you know, here's the, here's the deal. We're going to be, you know, we're going to take care of you instead of being so concerned about, well, the concerned about the, the rights of the, of the thieves and the car thefts and the punks. Cindy in Milwaukee. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. How are Hi. you today? Well, well, thank you. What do you think? Good. Well, uh, there's two, two different ways you can look at this type of crime, and you can look at it from a, a criminal behavior perspective, which would be the motivated offenders, and it sounds like Milwaukee has plenty of those going around. But the other, um, other view is to look at the crime itself and how can you prevent the crime. And there's a theory called routine activities theory that was developed in the last 40 years or so that says that for a crime to occur, you've got to have three things a motivated offender, a suitable target, and the lack of capable guardianship. Now, if you improve any one of those factors, the 
the chance of a crime being committed is is going to be lessened. Mm-hmm. So I think what the police are trying to do here is harden the targets, if you will, make the target less suitable or accessible. Make it tougher to steal the car. Um, sure, sure. Right. So I, I think you know, for the police, their hands are pretty well tied. They could they can get into the prime crime prevention kind of business here by helping um, citizens understand how to how to protect their property, how to improve their guardianship, so I, increased lighting, things like that. Sure, I, I understand. I guess I, I'm more fundamental. Program. I guess I, I'm kind of, Cindy, I'm more, I'm more of a chicken and the egg thing, and I, I get that. I, I understand you make it more Correct. difficult to steal the cars, but as a starting point, my point would be we need to have consequences to deter the, what did you refer to, the mo- motivated offenders? The or motivated so? offenders. <laughs> right. Correct. I guess, I guess my, my first Lower step would motivation. be... Right, right, right. Lower that, right, thanks for that. Lower their motivation. Motivation, motivated offenders, which is another word of, that's a nice way of saying, you know, the punks or, or the thugs that are out there looking to prey upon other people. Yeah, I understand. If you reduce targets of opportunity or you make it a little more difficult to steal a car, maybe – if, if you've got a club on on car A, maybe that means they're going to move to car, car B. Now, now maybe maybe that's what we're going to do in the city of Milwaukee. We'll make it mandatory for everybody to have to drive around with clubs because that that is part of the problem. If you say, okay, we're going to put, you know, we're going to give out X number of clubs, then all you do is you shift the quote unquote motivated offender from my car over to my producer's car if he doesn't have a club on it. So, I mean, I get it. You want it. That's why you want to encourage people to not leave their cars running and things like that or put the cars in the garage. But what does it say about the quality of life in a city where we can't that that's what our approach is? Nobody's talking about locking up the offenders. Nobody's talking about consequences for the people that are stealing the, the cars. Yeah. Make it a little more difficult. I'm cool with that. That, that That's OK. And if you want to give somebody a club, that doesn't hurt my point though what what about quality of life i mean seriously this is what it's come to in tom barrett's milwaukee where where our answer is here you know we're going to give you a club and maybe they won't steal your car maybe they'll just go and try to find another car that doesn't have the club on it why don't we start with the underlying problem which is why we're not prosecuting these people why we're not holding accountable them accountable and why we're not putting them in jail and yes for everybody who says well you know the, the jails are crowded well yeah but obviously they're not crowded enough because this stuff continues to happen back with more in just a minute jeff wagner on wtmj the group crew is in the palm of your hand if you live in milwaukee waukesha washington ozaki and racine county you can now listen to the brewers on the wtmj mobile app or at wtmj.com bob euchre and the brewers now easier for you to enjoy on your phone or computer download the wtmj mobile app today all right now i i was i was talking about the milwaukee police coming out over the weekend and saying you know here um you know we're, we're going to give you the club because we can't keep car theft under control all right that that's not that's not the weirdest statement from local law enforcement over the course of the next of the last couple of days here's the headline as it appeared in the uh, local newspaper heartland police have a message for students participating in nerf wars grew would you like to guess what that statement is Heartland police have a message for students again participating in Nerf wars. What would that message be? Don't. No. Well, don't. But no, it, it's not don't. It's don't play in the nude. What? <laughs> yes. No. I. I, I, that's, I that, that's what I said. Okay. So here's here's the deal. Apparently, you know, we we all know what what Nerf 
blasters are. You know, the Nerf things are those like like the the little um, the the what what are they made of? They got the foam balls they that they right. shoot, and they have okay, they have the they have the Nerf blasters and the guns and stuff. And apparently, uh, there there are games that high school kids play. Where you know you go out with the Nerf blasters and you run through the parks and you shoot at each other, whatever. Okay, that 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 that's fine. The game, however, at least according to Heartland, well, well, all right. I'll I'll share part of the story and then I will offer my comments. Heartland Police Chief Torin Misko said his department received a call in early May about a naked individual with a Nerf blaster playing the game near Nixon Park. <clears throat> Quote. Please talk to your children about playing the Nerf Wars game safely, the department says on Facebook. While we encourage to have students want students to have fun, we want we want them to play safely. And each year we have calls for students playing the game nude. (laughs) This is not okay, and could be exposing themselves to children and other citizens. All right. So this begs the obvious question about. Why would you be in Nixon Park in Heartland running around naked playing this particular game, displaying your shortcomings? Misko, that's the police chief, said the naked component comes into play because under some rules, if a player gets hit by a Nerf blaster without clothes on, that player is immune from being eliminated from the game. So it's kind of like paintball, I guess. Yes. So they're they're naked from the beginning of the game, the yeah. whole game. One person is yes is na- well, what th- on earth. <laughs> yes, right. So they're they're right. That so the idea is apparently that you you know it's kind of like dodgeball. You get you hit by the ball and you're out of the game. Well, apparently the way these rules work is if you are naked when you are shot, you get to stay in the game. Now, I guess that raises the question of depending where you get hit with the, you know, the, with, with the with the foam balls and stuff. But yes, um, and here's what they. This is what the police chief then goes on. Now, you would think, just just as a matter of course, you would think that it would be enough to just simply say, "Don't be out there naked in public." But they have to then they kind of explain it. They say in years past, and not just in Heartland, there have been times when safety concerns come in with running in the road and things like that. Obviously, being naked in public is one of those concerns. Um, years ago in Heartland, before I got here, they would go into a house to get the person late at night. They're going against running into your friend's home is obviously not a safe thing to do. Misko said the naked person was not located, but it's believed to be a high school student. Um, they get pretty intense with this, and everything around them doesn't matter except for whatever the game result um, is. The incident has not just happened in Lake Country, and they've had other problems. Now, I, I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm, they say the, the message is, parents, tell your kids about this. And I, I have to admit, I mean, over the weekend was, was Mother's Day, and I'm, I'm trying to flash back to my folks, Ann and Jeff Wagner, and I'm trying to picture us sitting in the living room of our home in, in Glendale, Wisconsin. And I'm trying to picture my father and mother sitting on the couch and me sitting in, like, the chair across from them and them saying, Jeff? We have to have a conversation with you, and, and that is, if you're going to play Nerf Wars, we, we don't want you running around naked. <laughs> I mean, who says this? I mean, I, I, the, 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 I think the philosophy, my, I think my father would have said, if you're stupid enough 
to be out running around naked in public. You get exactly what you deserve, which is you're going to get arrested and you're going to get taken down and we're going to let you sit there, you know, naked for, for a few hours. What, what kind of idiots do this? And, and I guess there, there are ones that do that. So, um, bottom line, there, there is a message. It is spring and the police out in Heartland and I guess throughout the area are, are correctly giving the message. They would prefer if you're playing this game that you don't play naked. You don't necessarily think that this necessarily has to be a message that you would give out, but I guess it is. All right, when we come back, Summerfest is going to reopen. Summerfest is on schedule. The Milwaukee Health Department, though, has its own ideas of what Summerfest will look like. Are they kidding? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Lots of people wanting to wade in on the nude Nerf Wars in Heartland. Jeff, this happens every year at Arrowhead High School. Yeah, let's get another school spending referendum. Jeff, this game has been around for years with high school seniors. The safe zone is on school grounds or being naked. Typically, the game is uh, not necessarily played in large groups. Well, that's that's good. For example, three kids surround my car in my driveway. I can either wait it out or undress and enter the home. I can either undress or or, or or wait it out or undress and enter the home. All right. Now, again, I, I'm I, I, I just I, I personalize this. I'm picturing sitting in my parents driveway when I'm 16 years old, surrounded by a couple people in the Nerf Wars game. And I am in the car and my choice is either wait it out or strip down and walk in naked to the house. Now I'm then picturing my, my mother sitting there as you walk through the front door, stark naked. I'm, I'm Not my mother stark naked, me stark naked. I'm just trying to picture my mom's reaction. Huh, I think maybe the alternative would be you throw the car in reverse, and as you're backing up, if you accidentally bump into one of the people that are terrorizing you, we'll see. No, I'm not advocating that, but I'm certainly not advocating getting naked in public places. Jeff, so the consequences of playing Nerf Wars naked are higher than the consequences for stealing a car in Milwaukee. Well, there is an element of, of that. Maybe maybe the, the true answer is if you're in Milwaukee and you steal the car naked, maybe really nothing happens um, with you. All right. We... we I, I always have to start these topics off because I understand people get, get agitated with this because there is a subset of people out there who wants to wear masks for the rest of their lives. I, I get it. And I, I hear from you all the time. And to which I, I say, fine, if you want to wear a mask for the rest of your life, wear a mask for the rest of your life. But the, the reasons for wearing masks are largely disappearing quickly. As more and more people get vaccinated, the, the raw numbers are that once you get vaccinated, Your chances of getting COVID are slim to none, being one of those breakthrough situations. And then your chances of getting it and then being asymptomatic, not knowing you have have it, that's almost none. And so then your chances of passing it on to somebody else who has been vaccinated, that's, again, just, you're, you know, if you're worried about that, you should be worried about the meteor coming down and hitting you on the head. That's just the reality. And it's the incentive for why people need to be vaccinated. The transmission of COVID outdoors 
has always been very, very minor. The risk has always been minor, which is why, you know, all the protests and stuff during the summer didn't turn into super spreader events. It's why last year when we had that election in April and people were predicting, oh, this is going to be a super spread event, it, it never happened. Because outdoors, the chances of passing COVID are, are slim. Then you add into vaccinations, and for all intents and purposes, it becomes non-existent, statistically. That's just what the numbers are. And so I think that's why more and more people are just done with with masks. You can make the argument, I think, that wearing masks indoors after you have been vaccinated now is nothing more than virtue signaling. But I don't even want to talk about indoors. All right, so Summerfest announces that they're going to reopen. They're going to go ahead. They're going to have uh, a great lineup over three weekends in September. Right? They, They haven't announced capacity limits, but... You know, people are going to decide if they feel comfortable coming back or not. The Milwaukee Health Department has swooped in, and four months before Summerfest, they have already announced that if if Summerfest does, in fact, occur, that there will be mask rules that were in place. So you should have to plan on wearing your masks outside even four months from now. Now, nothing's to say that they can't rethink this. So so it's they, they can always come out and say, all right, we, you know, we've looked at the numbers and we've changed our mind. But right now, the rule is if you go to Summerfest outside, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not, you need to wear a mask. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, I think there are people, including some of these public health folks, that that is the plan. They want to have us required to wear masks in public, indoors or outdoors, for the rest of our lives. Because to me, there is absolutely no reason to mandate people to wear masks in an outside setting. If you want to do it, that's fine. That is a decision you make. But to tell people outside in an environment like Summerfest that you have to wear a mask, to me, it doesn't. It's not supported by the science. It's not supported by common sense. And what it ends up doing is actually discouraging people from getting the vaccines. Because on the one hand, we say, hey, get the vaccines. You're going to be protected. But then we say, oh, if you get the vaccines, even if you're protected, well, you're not really protected. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I also don't see how this is practical because, uh, again, it's eating and drinking. But to me, we are at the point where if you are an outdoor venue, whether it's Summerfest or State State Fair or American Family Field or church festivals or whatever to tell people when they're outside that they must wear masks. It's time to say to the government, stop. You're not following the science anymore. We discuss in a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. Matt in Oak Creek. Hi, Matt. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I just... I just wonder if the people that try to implement these types of rules are considering their audience when it comes to this. I mean, I haven't been to Summerfest in the past couple of years, but, you know, I used to go almost every year, multiple times a year. And a lot of people mainly go down there just for food and drink, especially drink. Yeah. So <laughs> how are you going to set this up when almost every single person you see walking through there is going to be having some type of food or beverage in their hand. Yep. I mean, if you're going to try to dictate certain sections where only, you know, you have to stand still to eat or drink, no one in that place is going to be moving. 
I, I, because that's what everybody does. Yeah, I mean, I, th- th- thanks for calling. I mean, the same thing is the same thing is true at State Fair. Now they haven't talked about this. Look, Fauci, Fauci is on Meet the Press this weekend saying, "Well, I, I think." You know, I think it's entirely possible that you're going to see mask use on a, on a seasonal basis. Now, in fairness, I can't tell if he was talking about government-mandated mask use seasonally or, or not. It, it's, it's kind of unclear. But let's understand, these public health officials, if they, and, and, this is, and I, I get this argument whenever I talk about this. Well, Jeff, don't you realize that, you know, colds and flu were down this year? Why shouldn't we have government require us to wear masks everywhere, indoors, outdoors? This is the wave of, of the future. I mean, turning over these individual choices to, like, the, the health officials because they know what's better for us. I understand where the mask requirements came from. I, I get it. But now that people have been vaccinated outdoors, there is absolutely no reason at all to require people to wear masks. Require it. If people want to, fine. Go with God. Indoors, I think there's almost no reason to require people wear masks if, in fact, they're vaccinated. But we're not willing to give this up. The public health folks, this is their way of getting control. And because you know people have now bought into this, well, okay, you're some sort of denial. Or, or you don't care about people's safety. Now, at some point in time, we've been told to follow the science. Well, the science no longer justifies these draconian rules. And how is Summerfest going to work if you really mandate that everybody walk around with masks? And the answer is it's not. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, Mike Spaulding. This is one of the chances where I try to see how generational something is. All right. Okay? All right. Tawny Katane. Do you know who Tawny Katane is? I do. You do? I do. Gru, do you know who Tawny Katane is? Only because of the news of this past weekend. Only If, if I had asked you who Tawny Katane was two or three days ago, you would not have known who she was. Yeah, if you would have asked me on Friday, I wouldn't have known. Okay, Mike, same thing. If I had asked you who Tawny Katane was I would before, have. I don't know if I'd be able to have told you the specifics that I know now, but I did. I was a big VH1 kid growing up. Oh, which is why you know her. Okay, um, okay. I, I won't bury the lead. Tawny Katane passed away over the weekend at the age of 59. If you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to one of the stories. Um, the Twitter is at Jeff Wagner 620. But, but Tawny Katane, matter of fact, Mercure and I spent about 20 minutes this morning going back and, and looking at, at her old videos. Tawny Katane. All right, let me just, how would I say? I, I only have eyes for my beautiful wife. <laughs> but Tawny Katane in the 80s, was as smoking hot, at the risk of being labeled sexist, she was as smoking hot as a woman could be labeled. She, she Her claim to fame was, she well, she starred Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, who I, I think is a great American actor. Tom Hanks is one of those guys, if you see Tom Hanks is in a movie, you know it's going to be a good movie. He, he's just great. The second movie Tom Hanks ever did, well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you got to, the old the old fairy tale you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find your prince or princess <laughs> okay well well tom hanks in 84 he he's really had his first couple movies it was splash which was really very good with daryl hannah and then he started in a movie called bachelor party which is one of one of the all-time worst movies it, it's one of these sort of guilty pleasures um it's just it's an awful movie but it's one of those that you just kind of watch it because you go 
they have a donkey in that room. You know, it's it's not a porno movie, but it's it's kind of like it it every offensive stereotype it hits on it, and and Tawny Katane played the the love interest. She played Tom Hanks's fiance in, in that. So that was like her her first movie. But she really came to fame in the late eighties. She's She's no. She was what was known as the the White Snake girl, because the the band the the like the 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 heavy metal band White Snake comes out and they do it did a series of um, music videos, and Tawny Katane was the gal who was in various stages of undress or like dressed in bondage stuff or whatever, like like doing somersaults on cars and stuff, and she became known as the as the again the White Snake girl, and you. So that that's what you remember her for, yeah. Video vixen, right? Like one of the one of the one of the first. Oh yes, a- absolutely. And it just, I mean, I we were we were going back and watching. Bakir and I were watching a couple of these this morning. <laughs> were you well, on we work were, computers. Well, of course, we were on work computers. <laughs> it's research, you know. And I, I think that the thing is, it's like less white stake, more like more more tawny Katane, but just stunningly beautiful. She was married to the lead singer from White Snake, whose last it was like David Coverdale or something like that. That marriage, no surprise, didn't last very long. No way. Like, <laughs> yeah. Who who, who would have seen that coming? There was going to bomb out and then she kind of had a, a rough sort of life she after that she married a pitcher for the california angels his last name was finley i forget what his first name was but that didn't end well because it, it was at one point in time they, they divorced after like the police came to her house and arrested her for for spousal abuse and stuff and i she she was one of these guys that was she was one of these people that were she made she made like the celebrity rehab circuit you know on tv you know talking to dr Oz or whoever that you talk to about, you know, your various problems and stuff. But she was just stunningly, stunningly beautiful and just a, a whole generation. She really helped, I, I think, really set the, the music video thing, re- really helped to catch fire because it's like, oh, there's a band that's playing music. Oh, that's good. Oh, <laughs> who is that? Who is that <laughs> stunning redhead and stuff? But she passed away over the weekend at the age of 59. 59. Too young. Way too young. Way, way too young. Yeah, younger I, I, than my parent. You know, when your parents reach certain ages, then you're like, oh, that's not that far. Or even when you do, you're like, oh, I, a long time ago, I thought 40 was old, and now I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let me old. tell you, it gets worse. <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you that it, it gets worse. But yeah, it's kind of like you're sitting there. Yeah, Tawny Katane was 59 years old. But I, I bring that up because a lot of people might not know Tawny Katane if you heard that name. But trust me, if you if you watch those music videos and stuff like that, you recognize Tawny Katane. Passed away at the age of 59. I've got a link to that story. There was another, it, it, again, sort of like obscure sort of sort of deaths. If you ever... Several years ago, maybe about 10 years ago or so, they, they came out with a movie called Blow, B-L-O-W, and it starred Johnny Depp. And it was it, it was sort of a biographical movie about a guy named George Young who was a, a drug runner. And he was one of, he was like a, a California pothead who essentially hooked up with um, the Medellin cartel. In, in the seventies, and one of the was one of the first guys responsible for for bringing plane loads of cocaine in into the, the country, and you know ultimately, as often happens in these cases, it doesn't end well, and he ended up getting busted. But they, they did the movie. The movie was called Blow. It's it's not a very good movie, um, and and he's a very to me, he's sort of an unsympathetic character. Part of the problem with the movie is they tried to dramatize his life, but you know the, the guy he, he was a drug runner. I mean, it's tough to make him too terribly sympathetic. And and a number of his 
buddies, when they got busted, they flipped on him. And so it just, but it's like, okay, what did you think was going to happen? But anyhow, he, um, he passed away over the weekend as well. He was 78 years old and spent most of the last 30 years of his life in and out of prison for a variety of things. But if you saw the movie Blow, the, the subject that the George Young character played by Johnny Depp, um, it, it was a real-life character, and he, he passed away as well. So Tawny Katane, George Young, both passing away. Tawny Katane at the age of 59. They don't know why she died. They haven't at least released a cause of death. Like I said, I think she... I think she she had a lot of a uh, lot of demons that she wasn't able to conquer but 59 way too young when we come back of course they should have to look for work shouldn't they I'll explain we'll discuss this is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ not surprisingly, there is a subset of Tawny Katane fans out there. Seems to be all guys. Uh, let's see. Here's here's one of the notes. Tawny Katane appeared in the 1986 movie Witchboard, which premiered at the old Mill Road Theater in Milwaukee. I used to go to the Mill Road Theater. It was on like 76th and Mill Road. Tawny Katane attended the premiere. Huh. Now, that was before the White Snake videos and stuff, but uh, she attended the premiere. I'm sure, you know, to show up at the Mill Road Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I'm sure that was kind of like one of the highlights of her career. Jeff, you remember her from The Perils of Gwendolyn? Yeah, she did a movie. Her movie career was not vast, but she did a... It's kind of a softcore porn flick. It's called The Perils of Gwendolyn. I, I have never seen that, but... I do confess, I was curious about this because I was looking at like her filmography, and I, I was able to track down. I was able to track down the um, the trailer for the movie Perils of Gwendolyn, and McCure and I watched it this morning. If there's a movie that's worse than Bachelor Party, this looks like it is that movie. Jeff, what is she doing on the hood of that car in that video, music video? I do not know. Jeff, you're right, Bachelor Party was bad, but Joe versus the Volcano with Meg Ryan was an even worse Tom Hanks film than Bachelor Party. That might be the case. That might be the case as well. Maybe there's a pop culture corner in there somewhere. All right. On Friday, we had a lengthy conversation about the the job numbers that came out. Economists predicted that there would be like a million jobs created in April, and it turned out to be a a quarter of that, 260,000. And there's a variety of reasons, but I think everybody agrees that one of the reasons that people aren't going to work is the fact that right now we are still incentivizing people not to work. You collect your state unemployment benefits, and the government, through September, will pay you an extra $300. They used to pay you $600, but now they pay you $300. So that means the average unemployment benefit is $318. That's average. Some people make more. Some people make less. So $318 plus $300, that's $618. At, At that rate... That that's more. If you make fifteen bucks an hour, you're making more on unemployment than you are by working. And for for people, look, I understand there's some people who view work as their their jobs as their professions or, or whatever. But if you're in a, a job that's paying you fifteen or sixteen dollars an hour, and it's a job that you figure there's no advancement for, or it's a job that you don't like, or it's a job that's hard, 
I understand why people make the decision, well, why go to work? Why in the world would I go to work when I can make more money sitting on my butt and watching TV? Or I can make almost as money, much money sitting on my butt and, and watching TV. And that's why, for example, the governor of Montana, they, they can't find people to fill the jobs. The governor of Montana is out there saying, look, we, we don't want this $300 anymore. Keep it. You know, we, we want, we are disincentivizing people to go to work. And so this is how we want to handle the situation. Federal government, don't give us any more of this money. Now, of course, the federal government, that's not their answer. Their answer is no, we're just going to keep throwing money and money and money at stuff. And if, if it means people decide not to work and they get used to living on, on the government, well, all, all the better. So you, you've got that that's going on. And that is clearly a factor as to why people aren't going back to work. And I get it. I, I mean, I, I understand it. If you get paid more to not work than you do to work, well, okay, there's not too many people that are, in fact, going to go to work. All right, so that is an issue, and it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people think that there's people aren't going to go back, especially to a lot of these jobs that are $15, $16 an hour or less. They're not going to go back until the, the federal government, you know, the Big Brother payments stop in September. Then you're going to see a rush of people saying, okay, well, now it's time to, to go back and try to find a job. In addition, we waived all sorts of other rules during the course of the pandemic. For example, in Wisconsin, one of the rules has always been that if you are unemployed, all right, you you have to look for work to qualify for for benefits. And what would have to do is you'd have to go and you'd have to fill in, fill out X number of job applications during the course of the week, and you'd have to prove that. Well, at the height of the pandemic, the state of Wisconsin waived that rule. And so as it stands right now, you don't have to go look for work. The work search rule has been has been waived and is going to continue to be waived until, um, I think, mid-July is the way it stands now. So even though you have people that are unemployed and you have employers that can't find folks to work, there's not a requirement that people go out and actively look for work. That work search requirement has been waived. So Steve Nass, who's one of the uh, Republican state senators from Whitewater, and Steve and I go back years and years, he says, look, it, it, it's time to end this. He says, look, we, we need to change these rules. He says, we need every able-bodied person to re-enter Wisconsin's workforce to rebuild our economy. In the current situation, nearly every person on unemployment insurance should be able to find employment if a short in a short period if required to seek new work. And he's saying, okay, this is what we have to do. Evers has put this rule on hold. We need to reinstate it. We need to reinstate it right now. We don't need to wait another 60 days, May, June, July. We don't need to wait another 60 days. We need to say that, look, as a condition of collecting unemployment insurance, you you have to um, perform four work-related activities relating to searching for work each week. And that's what the requirement was before the pandemic. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think NAS is right. I mean, look, I, I understand we did things during the pandemic because, boom, that hit the Wisconsin economy. It hit the national economy like a hydrogen bomb going off. Right? But, but it's, been, it's been a year. You can't go anywhere without seeing help-wanted signs up. Employers are begging to have people come to work, and they can't find people. 
I believe it is not unreasonable to say to folks who are collecting unemployment, all right, here, you, you, you've got to at least go out and make, a, make an effort to do it. Is that unreasonable? 855-616-1620. I think Steve Nass is correct. Now, of course, the governor's folks, they're doing the predictable stuff. Oh, this is an evil Republican, you know, that's that's doing this. I mean, this is something that actually help workers and small businesses get back on their feet. No, it doesn't. It just delays the inevitable by letting people not go out and look for work and stops employers from being able to find people to do the jobs. We discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, Indiana's Governor Holcomb just signed an executive order mandating that the looking for work requirements are again in effect. He's also studying when he can remove the federal enhancement money. Well, yes, because during the pandemic... The, the whole idea was we don't want to make people who are unemployed, they've lost their jobs suddenly. First of all, there, there's no jobs for them to find. So why force people to, to go out to businesses that are closed down and or, or aren't hiring? You know, everybody's restaurants, everybody's laid off, everything's closed. It's not practical to make people go out at the height of a pandemic and try to go through the exercise of putting in four applications or whatever where places aren't hiring. I understand that. But it's not April of 2020. It's April of 2021. The reality is people are hiring right and left. Businesses cannot find people to do the jobs. Look, and I understand that there's some folks out there who are working very, very hard trying to get employment and trying to replace income that they lost. And I understand that some market segments continue to be hit hard. But the truth of the matter is there are jobs for anybody who is able to and who wants to work. And the idea that we're not going to require people who are collecting unemployment to go out and try to look for some of those jobs, all it does is stall the inevitable. It certainly doesn't do the economy any favors. But this is part of, in Wisconsin, it's part of Tony Evers's sort of big government plan. We're, we're not going to have a safety net. We're just going to have a really soft, cushy mattress that you can you know, lie on for you know the rest of your life. Um, Jeff. People need to try to get their butts back to work. Some making more sitting at home than those who have been working since and through. Yeah, that's the that's the ultimate irony of this as well. You know, again, if you have if if you have a job where you were making twelve or thirteen or fourteen dollars an hour, you know, you're pretty much in the situation where with that federal benefit, why why go back to work? Meanwhile, your coworkers who have worked through the whole course of the pandemic, they've been doing all the stuff and, and they've never gotten a chance of this. Jeff, hiring never stopped, even in April of twenty twenty, all the home improvement stores were in dire need of employees and still are. Contractors in native anyone who can answer a phone to swing a hammer, there's constantly an excuse for for no reason. I mean, that's it. Now, somebody says, well, Jeff, the businesses that pay well are having no problems finding employees. See, that's one of the big lies about this that's out there. Well, businesses should pay more. Well, no, the problem is right now, businesses aren't competing with other businesses. Businesses are competing with the taxpayers that are subsidizing people from not working. Well, you know, they should pay you 19 or $20 an hour. Well, the job's not worth 19 or $20 an hour. Maybe the jobs only worth $13 an hour in the free market, but the businesses, they're in a situation where the government is essentially bidding against them. The government is saying, we're going to pay you to sit on your butt and not work. 
And, you know, how can you compete against the government? In a free market society, you, you want to encourage people to go to work, not give them incentive to stay home. And this is a minor start. But I think the bottom line is I think people nowadays should be out there putting in applications, looking for work. And I know some people who have long-term employed are doing that. But a lot aren't. And you mark my words, once that the federal uh, sugar daddy benefits end in September, that's when you're going to see a massive inflow of people back into the workforce because they're realizing that it's not going to make more profitable for them to sit on their tails and not work. But regardless, Steve Nass is correct on this one. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is sort of an interesting story before we get to the Olive Garden story. And, and somebody somebody might want to wake up the Milwaukee Health Commissioner and say, are you, are you watching? This leads to people that say, okay, it's Summerfest in September. We, 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 we'll allow it to go on, but we want people to have to wear masks outside, even though there's really no science anymore that, that justifies that. And my, my point has been outside or inside, now that you have people who've gotten a chance to be vaccinated, it, it's time to get back to normal. And if people want to wear masks, then fine, let them wear masks. But let's get rid of the, this big government. We're now going to tell us what you have to, to do. Um, and, and, of course, in Milwaukee, these are the same people who decided that for Brewers opening day, remember that first week, they said no tailgating. And I, I said on the radio, and I stand by it, if that, if that rule, if that order were any, any more stupid, it would wink. No apologies to, to swine. And, and the thing I always said is, okay, so let me get this straight. Now, of course, they, they quickly, I think, realized how stupid that, that order was and how silly it made them look. And they kind of, they, they rescinded it, I think, for the Brewers second homestand. But the argument was, so, okay, my, the people I'm going to the game with, I can pick them up at their houses. We can all drive together in my car. We can crowd into the car um, where we're not wearing masks if we don't choose to. We can drive in this closed environment in the car. We can get into the parking lot, but we, we can't stand outside behind the car without wearing a mask. It makes no sense. And to their credit, I think they recognize that it did, in fact, make no sense. But it's time for, I think, like the Milwaukee Health Department to start waking up. I bring this up because... Because over the weekend, something happened in, in Texas. I'm, I'm not a big fan of professional boxing. I mean, I, I just, every once in a while I'll watch stuff, but I, it would never occur to me to like order a pay-per-view or something like this. In any event, there was a big fight Saturday night in, in Arlington, Texas, Dallas, at uh, the, the Jerry Jones Stadium. It's like AT&T Stadium. You know, the, the huge place. It's where the Packers played in the Super Bowl in 2010. And it was Camelo, Canelo Alvarez, who is one of the, the few, he's a super middleweight, and, and he's one of the few boxers out there, I think, nowadays, that really has the cachet to, you know, bring in lots and lots of people. Anyhow, he, he had a fight against a guy named Billy Joe Saunders, and it was at the Jerry Jones Stadium. They had 73,000 fans, 73,000 fans that broke a 40-plus-year-old boxing record. Um, and I think, you know, it, it shows pretty clearly that this is – it was an indoor – it was indoors. So it shows, I think, pretty clearly that, that people – 
whether they're in Texas or Florida or wherever, people are ready to kind of get on with their their lives. And especially with vaccinations and stuff, I mean, the crowds just just poured in. Um, Alvarez ended up winning this. They had 73,000 people that showed up at this stadium. So it really tells me that these public health officials that are are trying to say, well, you know, we'll let Summerfest go on, but we're considering putting capacity limits and stuff. You're history has passed you by now. And so you you need to recognize the science says once you get vaccinated, you're set. And now that people are making the choice to either be vaccinated or not be vaccinated, if you make the decision not to be vaccinated, well, okay, you you have to sort of live with these consequences. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens here. But 73,000 people at the stadium, you've had, you know, full baseball crowds at the Texas stadium um, right right by that that area and you know you're not hearing huge reports of any of these baseball games being super spreader events it's just time i think for some of these reticent health commissioners to kind of get get with the program and recognize that this time to say no 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 is passed and if you want to encourage people to wear masks fine people can make that decision but as it's time it's way past time to start getting back to normal and the people are starting to lead and some of the Elected officials and the people they've hired are way behind with that. All right. Olive Garden. I, as I was saying to Melissa, it always sort of interests me because every once in a while you have one of these these polls, whether it's a magazine poll or some newspaper poll. And it's always been funny to me around Wisconsin because they'll say favorite Italian restaurant and and you, lot, an Olive Garden will win. And I'm not knocking Olive Garden. I think for what it is, Olive Garden is is fine. I mean, it's you get you get good food. It is reasonably priced. The best Italian restaurant in Milwaukee, well, I don't think so. It's sort of like they do the uh, polls, and Red Lobster would always win for best seafood restaurant. Now, again, I'm, I'm not being elitist here. Red Lobster, for what it is, it, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, it, it's just absolutely fine. And I'm, I've eaten at Red Lobster. But, you know, there's a lot of, like, really good seafood restaurants around. And, and admittedly, they're perhaps at a different price point or something like that. And I, I understand the appeal of a Red Lobster. But, like, Red Lobster, finest it's finest seafood place in, in Milwaukee, eh, you need to get out more. Olive Garden, finest Italian restaurant in Milwaukee, you, you need to get out more. But that's not to say... That, that I don't like Olive Gardens. And there, there's a time and a place where I'll go to an Olive Garden and there's all, it, it's good, it's consistent, it's reliable, and people like it. Well, there is a little bit of a controversy going on out in Delafield involving an Olive Garden. What they want to do is they want to open an Olive Garden in Delafield. Uh, there, there used to be a Perkins restaurant out right off the, right off the, the freeway, um, right off of I-94. Um, it's, it's Milwaukee street, but it's right, it's right by where like the smiley barn is and stuff. If you can picture that they, there was, there used to be a Perkins restaurant, the Perkins restaurants closed. They want to put an olive garden in, in the restaurant in that area, figuring, Hey, this will attract attention. Well, they've got some people out there that are objecting to the olive garden. Um, one of the people is the folks that, that own the smiley barn. As a matter of fact, you know, that big barn with the smile, um, the, that owner says, well, I support the Olive Garden coming to Delafield, but I'm concerned that the new building and the signage could block sight lines. We, we want we want people to be able to see our smiley barn, and we don't want the sign or something to block it. Well, okay, that's you, you can kind of work that out. The interesting the interesting argument against it, though, and the Journal Sentinel has this story: the general manager of another 
restaurant that's at the area, Fishbones Cajun and Creole Restaurant. He he issued public comment. He, I think it's uh, Silver Mitchell. I think it's a he. Um, and and they this this was the objection that that they had to Olive Garden coming in. Now they own an existing restaurant. This is the general manager of an existing restaurant in the area. Here's what they say. The whole service industry in Delafield right now is at a strong standstill with employment. We're having a really hard time finding any employees at all for all of our restaurants together. We're really, really lucky through everything we've gone through that we don't have a lack of consumers, but we don't have enough employees to take care of all these consumers. I think approving Olive Garden is going to put a lot of our local and small family-owned restaurants out of business. All right, so the argument would be, if you allow this Olive Garden to move into the the former Perkins that is closed, it's going to hurt the neighborhood businesses because it'll siphon business away, but they can't get enough employees, so it's going to make it even more difficult for the neighborhood businesses to operate. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a reason to say to Olive Garden, no, you shouldn't be allowed to come out here. And, and again, I, it's probably a legitimate concern. You've got the existing restaurant who doesn't want the competition, period, to start off with, but is especially saying we can't find people to work here. And if you've all of a sudden got this Olive Garden that's going to move in and they're going to employ, you know, a hundred people, you know, that they're going to have about a hundred employees and they're going to be out looking for a hundred employees. We can't find enough employees now. You shouldn't allow another restaurant in the area because there's just not enough workers. Is that a reason to say no to Olive Garden? My answer would be no. To me, that that's kind of the, the free market. But what do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Delafield say no to Olive Garden because... The existing restaurants can't find enough employees. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, businesses in Lake Country are always fighting competition anytime another business wants to come in. The help situation is real, but I think it is a feeble excuse. Jeff, I agree with you. You can't stop a business because it might be more popular. You would have to ban Home Depot, Walmart, and everyone else like them. Well, that, I guess that that's sort of how I, I look at this. I mean, look, that... Look, here's what the effect of this is going to be. I appreciate that we have, as I've been talking about, we have a a hiring problem. Businesses are having trouble finding employees. I think part of that is because the government is essentially subsidizing people not working. But that's, I don't think it's going to be forever. But short term, if Olive Garden wants to go in there, they're going to have to find something to get the employees they want. Maybe it's wages, maybe it's benefits or whatever. And, and maybe that is going to be a strain on some other local restaurant. But that's that's kind of competition. People, you know, the mom and pop diners didn't like it when um, when McDonald's or, or Burger King moved in. Jeff, it's a free market. There's nothing wrong with Olive Garden going. They'll, I believe, also attract other businesses for the area. Jeff, I'm pro-local business. However, this isn't how the free market operates. Personally, I think giving the old vacant Perkins building some new life will be more attractive and good for surrounding establishments. You know, that's the other That's the other thing. There is, there's kind of a, a nucleus that, that's out there, and I think you can make an argument that if if that Olive Garden moves in in that area and it, it brings people to the area, maybe it's going to expand the business for some of the other local restaurants. And this particular one, I, I don't 
the Fishbones Cajun and Creole restaurant. I don't know where it is. I've never been there. But regardless, if you have if you have something that's going to attract people, they say, okay, well, we've, we're going out because we like the Olive Garden. Then you see this other restaurant. You say, okay, well, maybe we'll go back there the next night. Jeff, I worked in that building when I was in high school, and it was a family chef. That location draws on Arrowhead, Kettle Moraine, and Oconomowoc High Schools. So I think they'll find the needed labor, um, jobs exceeding resources, and how an area grows and stimulates people to move there. I don't think that's a reason to not approve it at all. 855-616-1620. Dwayne in Heartland. Dwayne, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I think that uh, basically um, they're going to be tearing down the uh, Perkins and building a new restaurant totally there. Right. Uh, by the time that a restaurant is up and running, hopefully the uh, federal unemployment will have ended right. and there'll be no problem with getting employees. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, thanks, thanks for the call, Dwayne. I mean, you're, you're right there. Right, they're not. They're not. My understanding of what's going to happen. It's where that old Perkins is out there, and what they're going to do is they're going to level the Perkins. That's gone, and they're going to build a new sixty-five hundred square foot building, which is going to be constructed on the property. One hundred nineteen mark parking spaces, some handicapped accessible. I mean, I think you know that's that's the option. Uh, Isaiah says putting the Olive Garden there will be the best thing for neighboring restaurants. Ever um, said, you know, ever try to eat at the Olive Garden? There's always a three hour wait. I could see people coming in, finding out what the wait is and ended up going somewhere else. Well, I mean, again, to me, this is the whole notion of of the free market that's out there. That's one of the reasons why, from an employment perspective, what the government is doing now by essentially subsidizing people not to work, it's artificially affecting everything because you have these employers, as I was saying earlier, who now find themselves not just competing with other employers for jobs and how much money they have to pay and what benefits they have to offer, but now they're competing against the taxpayers who are subsidizing people not working. And that's, you're, you're always going to lose, especially at these entry level sort of jobs, if the taxpayers are subsidizing people not to take them. But I, I look, I, I'm not unsympathetic to the problem that this this restaurant manager is talking about. And I get it. They, they, they can't, I'm sure he's looking at it saying, okay, we, we can't find help now. Well, all right, now you bring in a new restaurant that's going to be looking to hire 100 employees. And, you know, where am I going to get the people that I are going to work now? And I might end up losing some of my people who decide, hey, I'm going to go across the street and work at Olive Garden or whatever. I understand that that's a, a real problem. But that's kind of what the free market in, envisions that you have this, this competition and some ultimately the market's going to decide if people decide that they prefer to go to Olive Garden well okay Olive Garden is, is going to have the demand they're going to have the jobs they're going to pay whatever they need to do to get the employees they need to come in into work and there, there are there's always winners and losers I mean this this is what you know we've had this discussion for decades. I mean, we, we've talked about this. I can remember the, the conversations that you had when when a Walmart, you know, one of the big box retailers would move into a community and everybody would say, well, all right, th- this is the problem. It's going to kill, you know, Jeff's hardware store on, on Main Street. And, you know, in, in some cases it did. 
In other cases, Jeff's hardware store was able to figure out how to how to succeed, and, and maybe they had to change the business model. Maybe Jeff's hardware store had to say, "Okay, we're going to just we're going to kick butt on cons- on customer service." And the minute you walk in the door, we're going to have two people waiting to tell you, "Hey, that that thing you need." I was just in the hardware store this morning. That thing you need is in aisle eight, or and here we'll walk somebody to you, as opposed to somebody walking through a big box retailer and being lost and trying to find something and figure out if it's the right part. But but that's what stores had to do to survive. That's what mom and pop restaurants had to do to survive the onslaught of when McDonald's came in. And some of them did, and some of them didn't. But at the end of the day, it's a consumer sort of thing. And that's the case, it seems to me, going on in, in Delafield now. You build the Olive Garden restaurant, consumers will go to it or or they won't. If they don't, it will fail. If consumers say we're going to the Olive Garden instead of going to, you know, Jeff's house of whatever, okay, well then yeah, may, maybe the restaurant's gonna close, but but that's all about consumers and that's making the choices. And I don't think government should be picking winners and losers and saying, No, you've got a business model, you've got the money to open the place, we're not gonna let you do it because it, it might you you might have it might hurt the hiring of other, you know, businesses. Sorry, that that to me, that's not what the free market is all about. A lot of great stuff coming up in the two o'clock hour. Please don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa Barkley, you were victimized by the dreaded Radio Weekenders, huh? I was. I got- I don't know what happened. The board uh, okay, well, this, changes. Just, yeah. just so we can back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, I mean, I've been at WTMJ for going on 23 years. Uh, I think my 23, I, I hit 23 years in a month or two. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always noticed, there's something about people who come in on, on the weekends. And I, I see, I've always figured, like, if if you stay at somebody's house, like you're a guest at somebody's house, it's it's okay to like sit in the it's it's okay to to sit on the sofa, but you don't rearrange the furniture. That, that, or if you do do that, you place it back you to where it, back, it was right, before. Right, but but yeah, okay. Like say, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, Jeff, can we can we stay at your your place mm. over the weekend? Sure, you know, but you don't expect to then come back and find like all the the stuff moved and things like yes. that. There is something about. People who come in on on weekends <laughs> in, in radio know. stations, yeah. I think I don't think it's uncommon. But I've been noticing this for twenty three years. You you come in and we all we all use common things. You know, I I, I sit at this chair in front of all my stuff, and you're at the news desk and mm-hmm. all. And you come in, and I swear, I swear, you would come in. It used to be we don't have food here weekends, especially the sports weekends. There there'd be pizza all I mean, all this food, yeah. and nobody cleans up after themselves. But people would come in. And they'd the, the chair, you know, they, they'd move the, the chair would be actually broken because they, you know, they they adjust something, it would be screwed up, and nobody mm-hmm. would think to like put it back in or, or or try to find a replacement. And all the buttons are switched around, <laughs> and and you're there, and it, it's like, oh, okay, and it's it's always it's always the weekend people that do that. Now it always I, happens on Monday, yeah. So well, worry, yeah, yeah. So I have uh, now that you say this, I look down and my certain. Pots that I have that I pot up right, and down to bring up sound, bring and up stuff, sound. Right. <laughs> they're all mixed up now. So I'm like, wait. So it's a good thing that you mentioned that because I looked down because I I pot up CBS News at the bottom of the hour uh, during Wisconsin's afternoon news and it's in a different spot now. So right. so somebody uh, somebody came in over sorry. the weekend yeah. and started like now now see 
But when people come into our studio, I, I sit in front of this really, really impressive board that has all these flashing lights and all these different buttons and levers and stuff, and they all think I really know what I'm doing. And I say, actually, no, the truth is, you see all these buttons, I'm only allowed to push four. Yes. And, and then and, and, and fifth in a case of an emergency. There, there's an emergency button I can, but otherwise it's four. I have no idea what three quarters of there's this stuff does. There's a limited amount of things that we actually know that go on on this board. Well, well exactly. And, and I know, and, but at least I know enough not to touch it. So what you're saying is that somebody that was there over the weekend decided just kind of like readjust yeah. all these, these settings yeah, and start pushing buttons. Let's move a few things around. That way, you know, when you know, 3.30 comes around and ABC News comes up, I'm like, oh, wrong, wrong, wrong. You know, right. you get it. Oh, no, that's not it. You know, and then there's right, and then maybe, all the listeners are thinking, does, does that woman do not know, know how? They, yeah, right, well, does she that's not, not know? Really how, the well, case. No, no, well, no, right, it's not. It's no, it's just because I kind of sat down here, and because it's all supposed to be one. But it is always, it's always kind of the weekenders. And with me, the the thing is, they always break the chairs. That's the that's the biggest thing. It bust the chair. So it's funny. I am really short. I'm 5'2", and this chair I'm sitting on, I have a little step stool on the bottom because my feet don't touch the ground. So <laughs> I didn't uh, know that. But yeah, well, I do. And <laughs> I came in uh, one Monday, and my step stool is broken. So I don't know, again, what happens on the weekends. Yeah, is there like a wild party I, in I here know. or something that we don't know? Yeah. I'm sure missing out, whatever it's ha- whatever's going on in here. But, but it's, I'd like to be invited. Got it. I, well, <laughs> well or, or no, or, or better yet, you know, just I don't mind you drinking my beer. Just replace it yes, or something yes. like that. Yeah, if exactly. you want to sit in our chair and play around with it, just replace it. Okay, well, you've got that figured yes. out. Mm-hmm. So, all right. But it's, it is always, it's always the weekend. You <laughs> never know what you're going to find. Hey, something that happened over the weekend that I just want to call attention to. We're not going to open up the phone lines on this. But this is, this, it is an incredibly big story. I, I cannot underscore that enough. And I, it, it shows how vulnerable this country is. If you if you live on the East Coast, uh, gas prices short term are going through the roof, and, and there's a couple reasons for that. But if you haven't been following it, what what happened is Colonial Pipeline Company, and they're one of the big pipeline country companies in this country, and they. They service a lot of the East Coast. They run, they've got 5,500 miles of, of pipeline, and they bring gasoline and other fuels. They take it from the Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico, and they transmit it all the way up the East Coast, up to the, um, up to the New York area. And, and that's one of the principal ways, probably the principal way through these pipelines, that you get gasoline and things like that to New York and all, all up and down the eastern seaboard. That pipeline was closed on um, on Friday, and I think it's been closed over the course of the whole weekend, which means no gasoline moving. Um, so what happened? Now, why is the pipeline closed? Are there leaks? No, there, there's no leaks. Apparently, the company has been subject of, of a cyber attack. And they're finding themselves caught with like ransomware. You know how it works, where you've got this somebody out there somewhere has has infiltrated, hacked into their computer system, and is threatening that hey, you know, unless unless you pay us a whole bunch of money, what we're going to do is we're going to essentially de- devastate your your system. Because what happens is, you know, th- these pipelines, you have it, it, it's all kind of computerized i mean you you have the the computers are the ones that control you know how how much goes into a pipeline at this point in time and how much gets diverted out at this point in time 
It's all computerized. But the problem is, you know, we talk a lot about infrastructure, but in this case, as far as the transmission of fuel, what happens is the, the it's not the pipeline that has a problem, but it's the, the computer systems that run the, the pipelines and the refineries and things like that. that that's, all, that's all aging, and it's subject to these various attacks. So right now, because of this ransomware attack, you have uh, – it's not a question of not being able to produce the gasoline. You know, they're, they're still – they've got the – they're still refining the oil and stuff in the Gulf. That's not the problem. But the problem is because of these ransomware attacks, they're not able to use the pipeline to get the, the fuel to where it needs to be. And, you know, there's – whether it's like I was saying a minute ago, whether it's the pipelines or refineries or a lot of the, these power plants, they have very few protections against some of these sophisticated cyber attacks. And the problem is that, you know, if you have people that are able to hack into these things, they can just do all sorts of, of damage. So, you know, it is interesting that I mean, President Biden talks a lot about infrastructure and, and things like that. And and yeah, you you can you can build roads and you can build bridges and things like that. But th- this whole cybersecurity thing is just it's just a huge issue. And I unfortunately I think this is just kind of the 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 tip of the iceberg. Um, Homeland Security has been looking into this for a, a number of years, and th- you know the problem is that. There's all sorts of people. They they don't know, you know, are we being hacked by Russia? They don't know, are you being hacked by China? They don't know, are you being hacked by a, a bunch of, you know, very, very technologically aware crooks somewhere across the world who are doing this. But all we know is we have an energy system that is incredibly vulnerable to this. I mean, the in, the energy industry, this is a story in the Wall Street Journal, 2.5 million miles of pipelines. Vast network, hundreds of thousands of devices. These are sensors that take readings from valves and um, different valves that control the flow and pressure within a pipeline, leak detection systems, and it's all run by computers. You know, it's all, you, you send the information to a, a computer, and the computer says, hey, you know, we've got mile marker 2026, you know, we're getting something that says that there's a leak, or we're getting a sensor that says there's a shortage or whatever. You start monkeying around with that stuff, and you can cause incalculable damage. And it's so, it really is a, a vulnerability. And right now, if you live on the East Coast, you're, you're starting to see that, because it's not that there's not fuel, it's that the pipeline systems close down. If you want to talk about really, you know, an effort where I think you got to put a lot more money in, it is, it's updating the cybersecurity protections because that's the next, that's the next vulnerability. Think of it like, you know, the old Western movies where you'd have the, the bad guy that would go out on the, the train track and they, they'd throw that switch and it would divert the train and instead of going left, it ends up going right. Well, that's what this is, except they're doing it on a computer level. It's something really, really scary and it's something where we're really vulnerable and it's going on now. When we come back, culture at the office. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let me give you some inside baseball about what's going on at the radio station here. We have uh, allowed the majority of our employees, the company's allowed the majority of our employees to work remotely um, over the course of of the last year. Now, I've been... 
I, I worked at home. I was doing my show from home for about 12 weeks right at the start of the pandemic. And then I, I was allowed to come in. And so with a couple exceptions, like when I sprained my foot and was on crutches for a week or two, I, I've been coming into the studio. But but basically, the people that have been at the studio have been our on-air people and like my producer and things like that to, to who directly assist the on-air people. But our sales department has been working remotely. Our marketing department has been working remotely. A- almost everybody has been working remotely for the last year. Um, our management has made the decision that we want to start pe- bringing people back in. So I think next week the plan is two days a week, everybody everybody back in the office Um Monday and Wednesday and Thursday, it's optional, uh, with the exception there, there's a couple groups of people that, that are going to still stay at home. But most people are coming back. Managers are in five days a week, and they'll, they'll sit down, and if there's a particular employee that has a, an individual concern, they'll, they'll take that up on an individual basis. And I, I, I have to tell you, this is a really good place to work, so I'm sure if there's somebody that has a legitimate reason why they don't feel they can come back, health concerns or whatever, I'm sure they'll take that into account. But the bottom line is our management has made the decision. They want... They, they want to get people back. They think the synergy of having people in the office is important. And so, okay, it's, it's kind of baby steps two days a week or three days a week. But I have no doubt that ultimately they're trying to move towards a full-time return to the office unless something comes up that causes them to rethink that. I was, I was thinking about that because there's a couple interesting stories in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post about how all sorts of companies are, are dealing with this. And there was an opinion piece written by the chief executive of Washingtonian Media. Her name is Kathy Merrill. And, and she said, look, her, her point was that she understands that there's a lot of employees that don't want to come back to the work. They don't want to come back physically to the office for a, a variety of reasons. They, they don't like the commute. Um, they have maybe some health concerns that are, are that are still out there. Uh, they, they, they have the idea of, gee, if I don't have to go into the office, I save the gas, it's more profitable, et cetera, et cetera. And she makes the point that there, there is a synergy from the employer's perspective. There's a synergy that goes on about, about having people in the office and working together. And if you take that away, you, you lose a lot of the ability to, to mentor. You know, the, 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 the sales rep, for example, that, that's been there for 15 years, who the you know other the younger sales reps, for example, can come up and can bounce ideas off him or her, and they can give you some advice. And, it, and it's always true that I guess you can pick up the phone or you can do a Zoom meeting or something. But it's that that interaction, that kind of casual interaction that goes on that you end up losing. And the, the piece then goes on to say, you know, what's going to happen is if if people refuse to go back to work, don't be surprised if more and more companies say, okay, well, we're not going to treat you as a full-time employee anymore. We're going to treat you as an independent contractor. And that created a whole a whole other you know set of issues. But I thought it was an interesting premise. The idea that it's important to get people back into the workforce and get people back in together so they can interact. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just because you can do something, in this case, you know, work remotely. And I think there's a lot of businesses who have found that, yeah, we, we can work remotely. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that it is the best way to do something. From the perspective of working remotely, do you think it is important 
for that interaction? Do you think it's important for people to come back to the office so they can interact with their co-workers, their fellow workers, or or is that overdone? Is, is that just overrated? And my answer is, okay, maybe there's some jobs where it's just fine if you sit at the desk and maybe you're doing nothing but entering code and that's all you do in a given day. But I, I do think that there is a value to interacting with your coworkers. Now, there might be reasons that justify having to continue to work at home. But as a general rule, I understand why employers want to get people back into the, the office because – they, they lose that synergy. I think sometimes it, it's tough to measure productivity. There's some ways you can do it, but it, but it's a lot harder. 855-616-1620. If an employer wants to bring people back, does that make sense? A number of employers want to get people back into the office. And you, you can say production has gone up. And in, in some industries and in some businesses, that might be the case. I think other cases, they would tell you that's not necessarily the case. Um, Jeff, human interaction is priceless, whether people realize it or not. Well, I think that that's the value. I think that there, there's a it, it all depends on kind of the, the culture of, of the workplace. And by the way, first of all, I understand there's a lot of people that haven't worked remotely at all, and that's not an option just because of the nature of, of what you do. On the other hand, there are various jobs where you have those those choices that are out there, and I think it's possible. And you know, from a perspective, like I say, if you're if you're if you're just doing nothing but coding, and you're sitting at a desk all day, and and that's what you're doing, and that's it doesn't does it make any difference where that desk is, as long as you know you're doing whatever the, the quote is and whatever you're supposed to do. But I think there are a lot of other jobs where there is that interaction. It is that collaboration. It's the the, the boss, you know, seeing you and, and being able to say, hey, you know, I, I saw what you did here, really nice job, or, you know, maybe you want to approach this in a kind of different way. All those different things that are out there. It varies from industry to industry. I understand the value of staying at home, and believe me, I, I think that there's times that that might be appropriate, but don't be surprised if more and more businesses start to bring people back. And what's going to mean is I think a lot of employees who've gotten used to staying at home, they're now going to have to make the decision with do, do you follow the job and you come back to the workplace, or do you try to find another job? When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.